Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce's intelligent one-to-one -one customer journeys. Helping you achieve higher revenue, happier customers, and lower costs. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Week Meets, our monthly podcast where we talk to some of the biggest movers and shakers in the marketing industry about their life, career, and thoughts on the state of the marketing universe. Our criteria for interview subjects is this people who have made a mark on marketing, and of course, who have an opinion or two as well. My name's Molly Fleming, and I'm a reporter at Marketing Week. Russell's off this week, but today I'm interviewing Liv Little, the founder of Galdem, a magazine for women and non-binary people of colour. At 21, while in her final year studying politics and sociology at Bristol University, she found herself isolated and lonely amongst a predominantly white cohort. But after being inspired by a university lecture, she decided to create a space of her own. Galdem was born in 2015 and has since collaborated with huge brands, including The Guardian, ASOS and the Victoria and Albert Museum, the takeover of which was described as nothing short of breathtaking. Its writers have risen through the journalism ranks, produced two books and won the Georgina Henry Award for Journalism. Welcome, Liv. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me today. You've said everyone wanted me to unpack my experience and be that black voice on behalf of all black voices. If something related to anything non-white came up, everyone looked at me to have an answer on everything. It was exhausting. That quote was you speaking about your time at Bristol. Do you think that statement still is true today? Are you still exhausted? Um, I, I get tired, but but no, but no it's, it, I'm in a very different, I think, set of circumstances than I was when I was studying. I think being the only person who looked like me in a lot of uh, situations in that academic space meant that people really did expect me a lot of the time to be the person that could speak on, you know, or represent the voices of all black people. And, and often that meant unpacking trauma because mm. I was studying politics. So you're looking at police brutality and you're looking at um, asylum and you're looking at, 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 at things which disproportionately kind of impact people of colour. So that was that was that was difficult and, and at times quite demoralising. Um, but definitely now, no, you know, we have a platform. Um, mm. We can speak on issues that are important to us in a, in a variety of contexts. And we kind of, you know, we're able to shape our own agenda. Yeah, it's amazing what you guys have kind of done. And I've seen some interviews with you where you've criticised, you know, brands. You obviously work with brands, mm. but diversity is a bit of a buzzword in marketing. Mm -hmm. But you've criticised them for um, being only surface level. Mm. So I kind of wanted to ask you what they need to do more of. What? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the brands that we work with, they're brands who are, you know, on a similar page to us. They're brands who are working towards um, a kind of shared set of goals or values or who are interested in having a discussion and and making that discussion a part of the way that mm. they they do their business moving forward rather than a kind of dip in and dip out mentality. I think one of the biggest things um in terms of building trust and a rapport and whatever with our with our community and really really being committed is that you have to be willing to to truly collaborate. I think you can't necessarily have a a, a kind of singular view or perspective on on how to speak to audiences especially if you know as a brand that's not necess necessarily been an audience who has resonated with your brand or, or kind mm. of engaged with your brand um and and when we work with organizations it's about it being a truly collaborative process rather than you know one side saying this is the way that we've always done it and so this is mm. the way that we should continue to do it um and that is how you build 
how you build trust, how you build like brand credibility. And I think not all brands would be appropriate for us to to work with in that sense. And and there are some who are and and the brands who we who we have and who we are and who we plan to work with. It's very deliberate. Yeah. How do you build that kind of collaboration? I saw someone else, Tanya Compass, speak and she was talking about having, you know, people from the community behind the scenes as well as in front. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. But how do you how do you work like what's a typical relationship with the brand? Um I say it can kind of look like many different things. It could be that we're pitching to them. It could be that they've got a brief out and they want us to respond to it, that they've got a specific theme um, that they're looking to explore. It's not always tied to product, but sometimes it is tied to product, of course. Um, this is the advertising industry. Um, but it, it kind of operates in a variety of contexts. So, for example, we worked with Nike quite closely last year on um, a lot of content um, and activity around women in sport, and we produced some really insightful research um and the brief that we had for that was in, was incredibly open um and you know we kind of assessed or, or looked at where our audience could benefit with engagement in sport in a way which isn't just you have to be a professional sports person it's more you know around the mindset the feeling and that sort of thing and I think that was a really incredible incredible brief and the response to that was fantastic but I think yeah it can it can look like many, many different things. And and I think that's the kind of exciting thing about being an organisation that doesn't have as much like bureaucracy and hierarchy is that actually we can be really incredibly creative with the briefs and 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 the responses that we create. We can we can act as a curatorial force and body and, and we can programme exhibitions and cultural events and work with muse- museums and galleries and institutions. And at the same time, we can work with brands and we can throw events and we can kind of... Um, do really in-depth editorial research and we can create films and podcasts and I think you know we never we can't we don't tend to kind of say that this is the 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 approach that you should take as a brand I think we, we you know we really look at the many different formats that exist and think about how best to tackle into that specific theme or product or whatever it is um which is why I think if you look across our our the partnerships that we've done they all look quite different it's fair to say you're kind of also a brand in and of yourself you know being a maybe (laughs) being a model and I'm wondering if Mm. you how you approach say your own personal brand Mm. alongside Galdem's because obviously they're so intertwined yeah I mean I think Galdem is um a brand and a business in its own right in its own um space and there's a kind of incredible team that that make up Galdem and what we do there I think it's important that I think it's really basically I think it's really really important that your business and yourself are two very distinct entities and I think because of the work that we do that is so incredibly kind of personal it's very easy for your like self and your and the emotion of course that 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 drives the work that you do to become intertwined in a way which isn't always in like necessarily that healthy you guys pride yourself on working with authentic brands mm. but how do you decide who is authentic and like who makes the cut mm, who makes the cut um I think we look at people's kind of track records I think we look at who's in the organization I think we look at how the meetings unfold I think we look at um their practices I think we look at their history of supporting groups and initiatives if you look at someone like Levi's you know that they've got a kind of long legacy and history working in that space um and we have like our kind of uh, guidelines 
um, written down in terms of in terms of what we look for and what is important to us in an advertising context. And I think you know conversations, constantly speaking about these things, having conversations out in in the office in our open plan office, we can shout across the room and and see what and see what people think and, and what might work. Um, I think there's no perfect answer, and I think you know as a small organisation, that's definitely something that we're continuously kind of discussing. I think even for me as an individual who works with brands sometimes, you know, I, I pretty much go by the same guidelines that yeah. we go by. Um, and I don't think there's someone that I would necessarily work for that we wouldn't work for, for example. So in that sense, you know, the, the two are linked. But um, I think, yeah, that you have your guidelines written down and also look at how the organisation runs and, and look at the conversations that they're having and look at the legacy or relationship with the groups that they're wanting that they're wanting to speak to. And I know, you know, Gazam was in part founded because of the failure of the mainstream media to kind of be inclusive. But I'm curious now you've got your own office, your own you've got interns. Are there any ways that you are choosing to work differently? Yeah, I mean I think when I first started working in telly, I think there's a bit of like a I don't know, it's this weird like hierarchy thing, isn't it? Where it can be anyway. I, I was really fortunate because I had some really lovely people to su- support me from early on, but I was also in environments and did engage with people who were quite, I'm going to make your life as difficult as possible because that's the way it should be and because I'm more senior to you. So I think there's none of that, which is really important. Um, it's a space in which, regardless of you know which side of the business you're working on or or whether you're interning or you're the head of strategy or the company CEO I would like to think and I, and I, and I'm quite confident that everyone feels like this that you know their opinions and their thoughts and their creative ideas are just as important and and as valuable and I think that's incredibly important it's kind of like the smartest idea should win not just because um you shout louder or because you're older or because you're slightly more senior. I think that's important. Um, and just, I think, just being, I think maybe, I don't want to, I don't, obviously don't want to generalise, but I think maybe for um, older generations, potentially, um, going through, say, like mental health difficulties or whatever it is, in the workplace is something that's less talked about and I think in our office it's like more normalised of a conversation um, and I think that's really that's really important to be understanding of what people are going through. And I imagine adapting the ways of yeah, working exactly, to fit that exactly, as well. Yeah, exactly, as much as you can. And, and to be honest, we're still figuring all of this out and learning as we go. It's been kind of, I think, like nine months since we've had everyone in the office. So if something happens, you decide what the kind of you know best way to work through that that would be um and then you kind of amend you know your way of operating um yeah and what's kind of been your biggest challenge with Galdem? um biggest challenge I think do you know what I think and I don't necessarily think I had this before in a big big way but I think when we kind of went I don't want to say like legit but but when um the business kind of transformed and, and tippled over into becoming um a business like a, a, a business a profit turning business was a lot of imposter syndrome like construct kind of 
jump in around, oh, I'm 25 and I'm managing a team as a team and oh my gosh, and it's just, how did this happen? And I think you have to remind yourself, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm very confident this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, But then it's also about kind of, when you have those insecurities or those fears, what can you do to continue to learn and to and to better yourself? And so over the course of this year, I, I did like a management training course, for example. Yeah, I think I think I think that in the most challenging stuff is probably the kind of ah, is this too big for little old me? But actually, you realise you've got this and you've got a team and it's not just you. I was going to ask, how do you, what advice would you give to people who have that imposter syndrome? Mm. Um, I think, you know, you have to surround yourself with good people. And I'm so fortunate that every day I get to walk into an office with brilliant people, brilliant, intelligent, forward thinking, creative, groundbreaking people, political people. You know, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and having having people who are going to back you and who will challenge you, so important, so important. And I think, you know, goes a long way in terms of getting rid of some of those impostery type feelings and vibes. Um, I think just keep learning. I, I always say like it's really important to continue to like hone in on your craft as well um, so that, yeah, you like you know that you know what you're doing. Learn things, pick up new skills, even if it's scary and, and, and challenging. And also sometimes throwing yourself into the deep end before you know that you can necessarily do it. I wrote my first short story and it's something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. Um, and that was so scary and I was like very late. I think I was probably one of the last people to hand it in, but I'm I'm glad that I did it. It was scary, but I'm glad that I did it. Um, and that kind of increases your confidence a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. Um, so yeah, friends trying things and and honing in on your craft I think how do you find the time I feel like your short story model doing all these like Mm, mm. CEO of a company like how do you find we're increasingly having conversations about work-life balance Mm, like mm, how mm. do you um I mean I'm I'm a CEO first I guess yeah um and then when there are projects that I really want to get involved with if I've got the capacity to do so I will do so um but that's kind of how I'm, I'm operating it. Whereas before, I think when this wasn't my full time job and I had another job and I was freelancing and blah, 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 and you're doing all these things because you have to do those things to be able to do the the, the job, which was the end goal was for Gaudem to be the job. It's harder to get that work life balance in. But now I'm much better, I would say, at setting boundaries. And there are certain things that I really want to do that I haven't been doing as much. But I'm also not going to outside of the like my core work. But I'm also not putting pressure on myself, you know, if I'm feeling super tired or 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 burnt out and like it's too much, it's, then it's too much. Um, and when the right time arises, the right time arises. But I think I'm definitely doing a lot less of the extra things, I guess, um, than I was. But I think it's important that you have things that aren't even necessarily to do with like having a, pro- a project or like a clear end goal, but just having hobbies and things that you do for yourself that, yes, you know, will in, in, enable you to kind of develop your craft, but really just for you and your personal development. It's very easy as a creative person to be like, right, have to monetize this, that and the other, because, you know, that's how you make yeah. that's how you make your, your money and your livelihood. But I think it's also important that we just do things to make us happy. I was reading an interview you did and you were offered like what you described as your dream job at the BBC mm-hmm. and you turned it down mm-hmm. to work on Galdam. How hard was that decision? I was quite shook, but I remember Charlie had a similar 
a journalism job that was like perfect for her in a sense, you know, and, and we both just said, all right, do you know what? If we take these full time jobs, which, yes, our younger selves would have been like, what, 25, 24, you're mad to be to be turning that down. And also, how did you even get there? You know, um, but we we were, you know, we knew that if we if we took those jobs on that the business wouldn't be able to thrive. And Charlie is the... Um, head of editorial. Head of editorial, yeah. I was going to say, and a mutual friend of ours. But yeah, there is a scary moment where it's like, oh! And, and the great thing is that I was, even after I uh, I wasn't able to take up that role, I was offered something in the interim of, of us going full-time, which was quite flexible. But yeah, it was the definitely the right thing to do. I don't... I have no regret, you know? I have no regret. I'd much rather be... I'm in a very fortunate position to to kind of own my own company and and work with the people that I want to work with and on the topics that I want that that um, that matter to me you know I think that's it's sick I'm I'm, I'm very happy um and we talked a bit about you know a generation different generations but you obviously created Gaudam at such a young age what can older execs learn from younger people um Oh, probably a lot, and and we can and we can learn from them too. I think it's kind of like a a dual process, and I think that's why you know everyone laughs that I like love old people. But what I really love is intergenerational conversation and learning. So I have a lot of mentors who are who are older than me and who have been who have been thriving and and, and in this industry for for a lot longer than on some cases than I've than I've been here on the planet, right? And I think that's so important. And then what I can bring to them is maybe you know energy and like a um well they don't have energy that was the wrong term but um just I guess like a a new way of doing things um a way of doing things that speaks to a to a younger generation and that maybe is full of new ideas and new ways of organizing um and I think that is so important and I think for any creative team to be great I think especially given that like large portion of kind of marketing is speaking to a young demographic I think it's really important that those younger people are like in those spaces on those teams offering their ideas I did a consultation recently for a brand through through um, like an agency that we work with and there were all of these like I think there were like 17 or 18 year olds in the room they were so smart and so on it and had like such good critiques and ideas and thoughts about how to execute creative campaigns and that's amazing and we have to keep you know at 25, we have to keep, we have to make sure that we're we're tapping into and speaking to the the audiences that that we want to serve. They have to be in the rooms. They have to be writing the content. They have to be. We have to be asking them the questions. They've got to be interning. They've got to be in the space and offering their ideas and suggestions. And I think, I think it's so important. And I really hope that you know when I reach a certain age or a certain level, I'm not in a mindset or a situation where I still think that I am the best person to be in this space or that I know everything about these younger demographics, I think, you know, there will become a point when it's like, all right, the torch needs to be passed down to the next generation to have their voice and to have their space and platform. I've read like countless interviews mm. with you and something that comes up again and again is you're an ideas person mm. and I want to know how do you harness those ideas to kind of become a reality and when do you know when to set them aside like what do you do when they fail? When to set them aside that is so funny yeah I know sometimes I get these like these ideas that I become completely fixated on and it takes that like, Marielle to, to be like live calm down and I'll be like okay maybe I, maybe I should pause that for a minute um when to harness them and when not to harness them 
That's a really good question, actually. Um, it's probably something that I'm that I'm learning <laughs> as I as I go. Um, but I think you can kind of quickly identify whether an idea has has legs. And I think it's important also to understand that if it doesn't have legs in a certain context, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to have legs in another context. It could be that that's not the right audience or they're not quite ready or whatever. And I think, I guess the beautiful thing about Gaudem is that we're all able to, we, we have, you know, kind of collectively this incredible room and resource of, of creative ideas and 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 talent um, that we're able to try out and see how our audience responds. And for the most part, our audience responds really well because we back those creative ideas up in like research and, and, and theory and, and understanding and, and past learning. And I wanted to um, ask you about something. In a letter this year that you wrote in Galdem, you said you still shared joyous tears at your V&A takeover. Mm-mm-mm. Um, I told you I cry a lot. That's I'm working on it. <laughs> Can you explain to me what that event meant to you, where you t- Galdem yeah. took over the Victorian Album yeah. Museum and created an event? Um, I honestly like I I probably talk about this too much, but um, for me that was a real that was the catalyst. That was the moment when it was very clear that this space needed to exist. Five thousand people from our community showed up physically in a space when we'd been exist. I think we'd we'd. I think we'd been going maybe for a year at that point. It was it was very early on, maybe a year and a year and a little bit. But I don't think any of us were quite anticipating for that amount of people to come, like, or there to be queues down the road, or for my mum to be calling me because she couldn't get in because there were queues down the road, and and then looking outside and being like, oh my gosh, and like even now when I say it, I'm like my stomach goes a bit funny. I'm like, wow, that really that really happened, and I think. For all of us, it was it was a real confirmation that the work that we were doing was important, that it was necessary, and that this space absolutely, absolutely needed to exist, that it was vital that this space existed. And I think there's... Of course, it's it's kind of incredible that we're able to organise online and digitally in the way that we are, but I think there's something so special about physically seeing people, which is why that was such a joyous moment it's just it's very hard to explain like being in the middle of the vna getting ready to set up the event having all these people looking at you like why are you here a few hours later every crevice of the vna are filled with makers of color doing like incredible incredible work incredible things and the space is just full and it's like a one in one out situation and you're just in the middle of it all like checking on things but kind of walking around and and enjoying it it was it was um it was magical really and you're an inspiration to a lot of people, arguably. Um, I want to know who inspires you. Oh, who inspires me? Other than my mum, because I talk to my mum all the time. Um, my team, you know, like, honestly, I think I, someone gave me a piece of advice or like, or I, I heard someone speaking years ago and it was like, you know, don't always look to the people who have seemingly like already made it and and at the top of their game, like really focus on cultivating the relationships and networks and supporting your peers. And I think my peers are incredible and I think they inspire me um, and and they challenge me to be better and to do better and to to think about the world and ways of organising in in new ways, in in ways from outside of, you know, the structures that we've been taught. and so, yeah, I look around and I could talk about each person in my team and everyone is 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 incredible. And then you've also got, you know, there are kind of authors um, and 
filmmakers, directors. You've got the Michaela Coles, Rennie Edo Lodge. You've got you know incredible people who are who are who are having really important conversations and also just existing and thriving and like representing themselves and 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 people like them in in a way that we've not seen before so powerful powerful but definitely definitely my peers definitely and I want to know what's next for Galdem where do you see it in 10 years time 10 years time I'll be retired no I'm joking <laughs> good luck I'm <laughs> no, joking joking um in 10 years time yeah I I see us as having kind of like global bases um all over um all over the world we'll have offices in in different settings we'll be producing more kind of like longer scale content for for tv and and film even um we'll be we will have launched this this kind of new revenue stream that i, I was I, that will be launching at some point next year and that will be thriving um we'll be the go-to global platform for um women and non-binary people of color's voices to be heard absolutely i have no doubt all of these things are going to happen. Um, it's just step by step by step we keep building. But it's going to be, a, a, you know, a, a global media brand. And when you were at Bristol, just starting out Galdem, yeah. what advice would you give that live? Oh, sad, anxious, wanting to be around, walk, live. <laughs> Probably just that, it, you know, everything's going to get better and you're going to like, be surrounded by your community. And when I say surrounded by your community, I just, I don't mean like one or two people. I mean like a whole tribe, like um, on a mass scale. And I don't think I could have, even if I could have imagined that, you know, I would exit that space and go back to London and kind of what I knew and and and, and be able to have certain conversations. I don't think I could have imagined it being on the kind of grand scale that, that we have been able to through Galdem. So I think, yeah, that would be quite encouraging to know what's going to happen in the future and what advice would you give people mm. you know young black people young people of color mm. who are in organizations that are predominantly white mm. it's tricky isn't it um and i think these are conversations that come up a lot and i think when we do events it's a conversation that people ask a lot about their environments and and how to survive microaggressions and racism and like a lack of voice um, or a lack of representation or wanting to call things out and not always having the strength to do so. I think um, there's no like right or wrong answer in this. I think, you know, people are operating in a variety of contexts and sometimes you have the space and the energy to call things out. Sometimes it's too much um, and the emotional burden is too great. Um, but I think in these kind of big organisations there are networks that can be formed you know um, sometimes and, and and often to be honest it's a lot of these networks and, and people of colour who are the ones who then bring us into these kind of um, these organisations so I think try and find like that community wherever you can and if you literally can't find it in your office because there is no one then lean on your friends and, and, and people to support you um, and know that it will get better and, and, and that it won't be like this forever. But I think I would never want to place the burden to be like, you know, as the person of colour, you must challenge everything all the time because that's impossible and you'd be tired. That was my next question. What advice would you give if you have any to white people who 
what should they do? And they should be speaking up. They should mm. be speaking out. They should be using their voice and their platform and their space and thinking about who is not in the room and thinking about whether, yes, that person of colour, your colleague, is always expected to be calling things out. Why can't you do it if you think something is wrong? Why, why, don't, why don't you share the burden? Why don't you think, oh, I'm not the best person to direct that or to produce that? But I know that there are, uh, you know depending on the context of what you're making, a black woman who who would be better suited to tell that story. Um, there's an abundance of talent. You know, when people say that there's not, I don't believe them because I know hundreds, if not more, um, of people who are incredibly talented and capable and, and, and have the ability to tell their stories in a way which is going to be authentic because it's coming from them. Um, but yeah, simple. <laughs> and lastly, you know, we spoke at the beginning about marketing having a real diversity is a buzzword mm. what practical advice you know would you give to brands who want to become more diverse who want to appeal to the more diverse audiences um i think these things these conversations need to happen like before you've got a product and you've clocked that like you're not it's not speaking to this audience or your advertising campaign is not inclusive like it needs to happen very early on and if it's happening at such a late stage you know not great a bit of a mess so i think i think Look at who's in your organisation and um, look at the relationship that your organisation has had to people of colour and, and think about why it hasn't re resonated. If you don't have any people of colour in your organisation or making creative decisions or like anyone that isn't outside of a straight, white, middle class man's perspective, then of course you're not going to be speaking to speaking to those audiences. So do better in how, in how you know, the in, in how you kind of organise the structures that inform all of the work that you do and that doesn't mean just bringing people off on a whim for like an hour of consultancy or to be the face of the campaign but all of the infrastructure says that actually you're not interested in this audience I think it, the, it, ha it has to run deeper it, it just has to and I think the audience knows and they know listen that's not how you build um audience credibility or relatability or loyalty you know that's not how you do it people people know people know I actually have one more question mm. have you ever had a failure or a mistake that you've made and what did you learn from it failure or mistake I think I have over the years realised the value of listening to that your gut in, in listening to that intuitive feeling that tells you this is good or bad or whatever and lastly what are you most proud of um oh, oh, oh um I think I'm proud of I'm proud of lots of things. I'm proud of I'm proud of my team, you know, I'm proud of my team. I'm proud of my team. I'm proud of a, having a team who who are working towards a shared set of values. We recently did a kind of like goal setting um value setting and, and sharing and everyone's on the same page, which is amazing. Um and everyone's committed and, and wants to do the work. Um so yeah, I, I'm I'm proud of the team that I have for sure. That's a good note to end on. Mm. I think that's all we've got time for. But... Oh, well, thanks for having me. <laughs> You've been listening to Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce and brought to you by Bauer Creative London, with me, Molly Fleming, and producer Tim O'Donoghue. If you've liked this episode and want to hear more, we have episodes with the likes of Seth Godin, Cindy Gallup and Scott Galloway. Just go to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify or marketingweek.com to download. Until next time, goodbye. Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce's intelligent one-to-one -one customer journeys, helping you achieve higher revenue, happier customers, and lower costs. <laughs>